Well, hey, everybody, welcome to our digital campus today. We're so glad you joined us. Listen, we're almost to Christmas time. Have you got all your shopping done? Are you waiting to the last minute? I tell you what, we are scrambling around our house to get everything done, but we're excited about Christmas and what God's going to do through New Life Church in this Christmas season. We're glad you joined us today. Listen, if there's anything we can do today for you, let us know. I'll be right here in the chat during the entire service. If you need prayer for anything or you want to connect and just share a prayer request with us or get connected to a campus in your city, we would love to do that. Just text CONNECT to 88000 and we'll follow up with you today. Listen, today's going to be awesome. we got Pastor Marcus Brown in the house. You're definitely going to want to lean in on this message. It's on legacy. It's going to be great. But before we go into the message this morning, we have an opportunity right now to worship God. And I just want to encourage you. Some of you might be on here today and you might be discouraged. Some of you are maybe ready to throw in the towel. Some of you don't know where you're going to buy Christmas presents for your family from. And you're in this hard season. And I just want to pray over you today before we go into worship. Come on, let's do it. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for everybody who's on here watching. God, whether we're in the state of Arkansas or outside the state or maybe even overseas watching in right now, God, there could be some people that are discouraged, Lord. They need you to show up big time today. And I just pray, Lord, right now, as we go into worship, as we hear the message today, God, that you would speak to our hearts God, I pray that you would bring peace in a season that could be very hard for a lot of people on here. So God, use this day, Lord, to touch lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
New Life Church. Welcome to another week on the digital campus. I'm Marcus Brown. I'm one of the teaching pastors around here. And this is what I want to tell you to do. Uh, take a moment and download our kids' curriculum so that right after the service, you can have Sunday school right there in the home with your kids. And also, turn off the distractions around you. Uh, get your Bible ready, maybe on your phone, or grab your Bible and have it in front of you. And turn up the volume, and let's dive into God's Word today. Because I'm going to be sharing something that's just been rattling around in my spirit. And it's this one word called legacy. What does it mean to have a legacy? A, a legacy is when you live a life that is so significant that it makes a difference even after you're gone. I want to have a legacy. I, I want my kids to remember me. I want my grandkids to remember me. Anytime a man even makes a will or a woman makes a will, they are having futuristic thinking. Uh, that's when you begin to think that I'm not going to live forever and time's going to keep going on. So I need to leave a little something, something to the kids and the grandkids and uh, maybe my church or a ministry that I like because life is going to keep going past the end of my life. So I need, I need to have some sort of legacy, legacy giving. And, and you do that basically in two ways. Uh, you'll give away some physical assets. But I really want to zero in on the spiritual assets that you as a believer are going to pass down to the people in your life. Proverbs 13, 22 says this. This is a very convicting scripture. It says, a good man, listen to that, a good man, a good man, good woman, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It gets down to the grandkids. This is what the Bible is saying. A good man, like you can't even wear the title of being a good person, a good woman or a good man, unless you are thinking about life beyond yourself. And matter of fact, Solomon was saying like this, a good man is thinking on a three-generational level. He's thinking about today, I'm gonna, I want to take care of the needs that are around me. Uh, I, I'm thinking about my kids after me, and I'm thinking about their families uh, after them, and I want my life to make an impact on a three-generational level. So uh, thinking about legacy, I started reading up on different things people left in their will because I was thinking about what does my will need to look like? Because it ain't so good right now, you know. So I read a story about one man. He was sweet. He went to a florist and set up an account. And when he passed away, the florist, he paid for the florist to personally give his wife a fresh rose, hand-delivered every day. He said, I want my love to continue to go on. And that's when everybody goes, Ah, uh, and that probably make, will make a Hallmark movie one day. I saw uh, Leona Helmsley actually left $12 million to her dog. She gave her dog twice as much as she gave anybody. There, there was a guy in Portugal that he, he, he was incredibly wealthy, got to the end of his life, called his lawyer in. They went through a phone book, and he just put his finger on 70 names. And then when he passed away, his, the lawyer got in contact with those 70 people and gave them an enormous amount of money. But something that recently happened, okay? Uh, in 1919, a man in Michigan, his name was Wellington Burke, he passed away in 1919. He had, he had a big fortune, and his will was actually called the legacy of bitterness. In his will, he said, no one can tap into my fortune until 21 years after my last grandkid has died. That's why they call it a legacy of bitterness. His kids didn't touch it. His grandkids didn't touch it. And, and so that 21 years after his last grandkid just recently happened. 
and they found 12 members in his family uh, that, were, that were alive, didn't really know him, put them in a room, and they divvied up $110 million. It's crazy. So when I'm talking about legacy, I remember I had, I had a conversation with, with a group of people about a year ago, and they said, they said Pastor Marcus, it just feels like the world is getting worse. Uh, why is that? Why is the world just feeling like it's getting it's getting worse and worse, and sin's getting bigger and bigger? And some people are just you know they're griping about everything. You know they're like, "What's well, the government? You know it's Trump or it's Nancy Pelosi's fault or it's the school system. It's it's public education. You know." And one person, no, I, I think it's I think it's the Disney Channel. All those innuendos are just messing everybody up. And then one, one older lady was like, it's Lady Gaga. And I, I was just proud she knew she said her name right. I was like, okay, maybe it's Lady Gaga. But here's the fact, and I don't want you to miss this. The world is the way it is because somewhere along the way, there was a spiritual baton that didn't get passed from one generation to the next. Uh, this is not just new to us as believers. This, this has happened all throughout history. This happened in the book of Judges. The Bible says, when all that generation, this is Judges 2.10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor his work. Do you see what happened? There was a generation, served their fathers, served God. All of a sudden, Another generation arose that did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Somebody fumbled the baton. And because of that, by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, this is what it says, that in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Isn't that interesting? Like We live in a time where everybody says, you just do you. You know, live your own truth. Uh, that's not new thinking. This is ancient Israel thinking, and this happened because there was a disconnect. A spiritual legacy wasn't passed down to the kids, and it wasn't passed down to the grandkids. So one guy I was thinking about, and I've never really preached a sermon on him, and it was a guy that almost fumbled the baton, and then he got it right. And his name is Asher. Um, Asher, in the Old Testament, he's the seventh son of Jacob. Asher grew up in a very dysfunctional family. I mean, Jacob, his dad, if you know anything about him, he was the original gamer. He was always playing games with people. He was trying to get his own way. He was looking out for number one. Jacob was very deceitful at times. He's very manipulative at times. But Asher grew up in a family where his, his dad had 12 kids by four different women. I mean, Maury Povich would have made a million dollars off of this, this episode right here. You know what I'm saying? And so Asher grew up with a father that was like that, and he started to follow in his father's footsteps. It was Asher who was right there when they were deciding to throw Joseph and sell him into slavery. They threw him in a pit, and he was there. But somewhere along the way, and we don't even know uh, when this happened, somewhere along the way, Asher gets his heart right with God. Uh, and he begins to leave a legacy to his kids. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to 1 Chronicles 740. But I'm going to tell you, this is something I want you to get from God. No matter, no matter what your family history has been like, here's what's so amazing about God, is that God always gives you an option that you can change your life. It doesn't matter how your life has been for 10 years or 20 years. It could be 40 or 50 years. 
that you can get into the presence of God and he gives you an option that the rest of your life can be the best of your life. This is what it says, that your past doesn't have to determine your future. And this, when it comes to legacy, no matter the legacy that you've been given, you can change that and give a legacy on that could be totally different. It could be amazing. And this is what happens with Asher. And this is what it says. This is, this, these words are so powerful. The imagery is so beautiful. I want you to have this passion that, that you're going to raise a family like Asher did. All these were the children of Asher. And watch how it describes them. They were heads of their father's houses. That means that they were leaders in the home. They weren't passive. Uh, they stood up and they led and they lived well. Then it says they were choice men. He had four sons and a daughter. They named him after her great-grandmother, Sarah. They were choice men. Watch this. Mighty men of valor. That means they were brave. When it was wartime, they would take off. They'd run to the front of the line. They were chief leaders. And they were recorded by the genealogies among the army fit for battle. Their number was 26,000. It goes from Asher to five kids to 26,000. It had an amazing legacy. I want you to think about three questions. I want you to think about answering them when it comes to if I'm going to live a significant life and have a legacy, that I don't just leave this legacy to my kids. Some of you are like, I don't have kids, but you've got spiritual sons and you've got spiritual daughters. You've got people in the house of God that's looking up to you. Oh, what's going to be your legacy? I want you to answer three questions honestly and then write down what you want. These are some things that I've been thinking about myself. Number one, what will be your legacy of faith? That's the first one. What's going to be your legacy of faith? Just what will people remember about how you trusted God? What will be that legacy that you passed down? And I thought about defining this, the legacy of faith, but it's, it's actually better for me to read this. You can see this so clear in Scripture. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he said this, uh, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance, listen to this, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. It's like your grandmother had, raise your hand if you had a grandmother that loved God. First it was in your grandmother Lois, and your mother, Eunice, so it got passed down. You got a grandmother, Lois, that served God, and then you got a mother, Eunice, that served God, and I'm persuaded it is in you also. You see that legacy of faith started with a woman of God. She passed it down to her daughter, who passed it down to her son, who was now pastoring and doing amazing things with his life. When you think about your faith and trust in God, you think, is this gonna touch my grandkids? Is this going to touch the, a younger generation, like the way that I live and I trust God? And what does that mean when I say a legacy of faith? This is what it means. First of all, it means that we believe even when we don't see. There are things that I'm going to put my trust in even before I ever see it in my life. And you're like, I don't know if I can do that. You do that every time you take a shower. You turn on the hot water and then you know it's cold. You don't just jump in. You're not crazy. But you sit there waiting and you know that sooner or later, even though I can't see it changing, I believe it's going to change because you stick your foot out there and you put it in the water. You're like, it's almost the temperature God wants me to be in. Amen. All right. That's faith. You know, that's Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what faith is. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. 
Faith is visualizing the future. Uh, faith is visual, visualizing potential. Just like, I can see potential in you. That's, that's faith. I, I, I believe it before I ever see it. I can just, I can visualize that. It's seeing things in advance. Faith is believing before you ever see it in your life. Some people say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. God actually turns that upside down. God says, you're going to have to see it here and believe it, and then you'll see it in the natural. Amen. Here's the second thing is we obey even when we don't understand. I, I, I believe when I don't see, but I obey when things don't really make sense because there's going to be some ways of God you're just like, I don't really understand that, but I'm, God, I'm trusting you. And, and I will tell you one of the most powerful things you can do to leave a legacy of faith is that when your life is in transition, and you're going to have, you know, four, five, sometimes six major transitions in your life. And you don't have to fake it. You can call your family in, call your friends in, and just go, you know what? I don't understand everything, but we're trusting a good God. And he's a great shepherd in our life. And even though I don't know how things are going to work out right now, I'm going to obey God even when I don't understand everything. That will set you apart from everyone else. You know what most people want? Most people will say, uh, God, I'll trust you when you get a, give me a guarantee of success. Well, he ain't ever going to do that. He's not going to give you a guarantee of success because he wants our relationship to be a walk of faith. When God goes up to Noah, he goes, Noah, he's like, well, build a boat. Okay, it's going to rain. Noah's like, what's rain? It had never rained before. Could you imagine that? I mean, the earth had never had rain fall from the clouds. Some scholars believe there may have been like this heavy dew every morning that was like a mist that came up, like, like your garden, your, your yard sprinkler. Some people think that. I don't know. Uh, no, it's going to flood. I'm going to destroy the world. Well, what's a flood? It had never flooded before. But Noah goes, even though I don't understand it, even though I can't wrap my mind around it, God, I trust you. And I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to put the work of my hands and the work of my feet and the labor of my mind, I'm going to put it to work even when I don't fully understand it. This is why he made the hall of faith. Hebrews 11 says, verse 7 says, It was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about something that had never happened before. You see that heart of faith? Never happened before. I'm going to trust you. I'm ready to trust God in advance. I, I remember when God started really dealing with me about being, being in the ministry and I had been running from God, but I didn't ever think I was gonna really do great things for God. I just wanted to just, I just kind of wanted to be someone who was always just unseen because when, when I grew up, okay, I grew up in Louisiana. I went to public school in Louisiana and Louisiana, the year I graduated high school was 50th in education. 50. We were last. We were always fighting Mississippi for the dumbest state. And then the year I graduated high school, so uh, Louisiana has parishes instead of counties. We call them that because of the Catholic influence. And so out of all the parishes in Louisiana, the parish that I went to school in was ranked the worst education in the whole, in the whole state. So I'm in the worst state, worst parish. Then my city was named the lowest test scores in the whole parish. And then I looked in the mirror one day and I was like, I'm graduating in the bottom half of my class. And I looked in the mirror, I went, there is statistical proof. 
I'm one of the dumbest people in all of America. And I was thinking, God, what are you, why are you trying to do anything with me? Haven't you seen my report card? Don't you understand the facts? But faith trusts God even when you don't understand it. Listen to me. You will either trust your gut in life or you will trust God. You will either trust God's word and what he is saying to you or you're going to trust the world. It's one or the other. Here's the second question I want you to ask yourself. What will be your legacy of convictions? My faith is my trust, but really my convictions. Convictions are values that get down deep. It's just like, oh, I would bleed for this. Uh, convictions are different than opinions. Opinions are, are things that you would argue over, but convictions are things that you would die for. That's a different, and everyone, listen to me, when it comes to making decisions in your life, okay, this is going to happen in your life, and you're going to see this happen around your family and the people you love. You will either make decisions on, well, what's the easiest thing to do? Huh? What's the easiest route? Some people only take the easy road in life. What's the easiest thing to do? Or a lot of people go, well, what, what's everybody else doing? I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. I don't want to stand out and be stupid. So what's everybody else doing? That's what I'll do. And then there are some people that stand out because they go, my convictions are what's going to guide my life. I don't care what everybody else is doing, and I don't care what the easiest thing is to do. I'm going to live by convictions that are down deep in my life. And, and let me just make a little sidebar disclaimer. When you live by convictions, you're going to be criticized. Because people that live by, by convictions, they make other people uncomfortable in their life. And the only way that you could ever avoid criticism is to believe nothing, say nothing, do nothing. The only problem with that is you'll end up being nothing. So live by your convictions. This is what Romans chapter 11 says, and I want to talk to you about a big conviction in my life. It says, for everything comes from God, from God alone. Everything lives by his power, and everything is intended for his glory. This verse has given the Brown household a big conviction. Here's the big conviction that we have, and you can write this down. You need your own, but you can adopt this one. Here's our big one. Life is all about God. Life isn't all about me. Life isn't all about my kids. Matter of fact, if you want to raise kids who grow up to be insecure, teach them that life is all about them. Treat them like the whole world revolves around them. And you know what happens is your kids will deal with anxiety. They would, they would deal with stress because intrinsically inside of them, everybody knows life isn't about me. Life is all about God. And we live with this conviction of we don't make decisions in life. We don't think about transitions in life based on what's in it for me. We make decisions based on this. What is in this for God? Matter of fact, Pastor Rick, <clears throat> he, he taught a few weekends ago on the church at Ephesus and the first love, you need to go back and look at that message because there was a part in there that was so powerful because when you go, life is all about God, I think there's an underlying question to this conviction and it is this, what are you going to love most in this world? What are you going to love most? So for our household, we're like, we're going to love God above everything else. And, and when Pastor Rick was talking, he's talking about how people had lost their first love and they're I can define first love like this. It's, it's that first feelings of love. Like when me and my wife first started dating and we're all on this college campus, I couldn't wait till class was over and I, I'd be walking. Sometimes I'd see her across campus. We'd see each other. We'd just start smiling. 
We used to smile all the way. Talk. That's that first love feeling. We'd go out on a date, and I'd walk her to her dorm, you know, and she, she'd walk up the steps, and I'd watch her, and she'd close the, the, her, her dorm door to inside her dormitory, and then as soon as she shut it, I'd take off. I'd sprint across campus. I was running as fast as I could. I'd go to Davis dorm, open the door, go down fourth wing. I lived all the way at the end of the hall. I would run, slide to the door. I'd open my door, grab the phone. Brooke would pick up and like, so what you been doing? You know, it's just crazy. I can't believe you stayed with me, baby. It's just like, here's the principle of life. that you're, When you have first love, that love draws you back into the presence of the one you love. And so when you have a conviction that you go, life is all about God, it's not all about me, you have that, then listen to me, you'll be driven back into the house of God, driven back into the word of God, driven back to the presence of God. It's a conviction that's a guiding force in your life. Here's the last one I want, I want you to ask this question. What will be your legacy of giving? What's going to be the legacy of generosity in your life? I would tell you this, that, that love, this is what it says. Love says, I want to give something. God's the greatest giver for God so loved the world that he gave, and he gave sacrificially. I'm never more like God than when, than when I'm a giver. Love says, I want to give to you. I want to, I want to meet your needs. Love is all about uh, your best interest in mind. Uh, there's a difference between love and lust. A lot of uh, songs that we call love songs are just love, lust songs. Lust says, I want to get something. I want my needs met. Uh, I'm not in it for you. I'm in it for me. That's, that's the biggest difference. Lust says, I'm going to get something from you. Love says, I'm going to give something to you. I want something for you. And so when you start thinking about what's going to be the, the level of generosity, this giving is in the heart and character of God. Matter of fact, John 1.16 says this in the message. We all live off of God's generous bounty. Like, you are living off of God's generosity, generous bounty right now. So everybody do this with me, no matter where you're at. Do this, just breathe in. Breathe out. Just that breath of air is a gift from God. John says we all live off God's generous bounty. Watch this, gift after gift after gift after gift. Like our whole life, it just, our life just lives and moves off of the generous gifts, generous gifts of God. So I want to tell you something about uh, next week. We're going to take up an offering called the Legacy Offering. It's going to go out for missions. We're going to reach people in our local neighborhoods, our local communities. It's going to reach some churches that have been planted in, in our nation. And then it's going to go out all over the world to, to help ministries. That, that a lot of them have been affected during COVID and been hit hard financially. We're going to bless them. But when you sow into the kingdom of God, God takes your money and does something supernatural with it. God is the only one that can take money and turn it into souls. In Luke chapter 16, verse 9, this is what Jesus said, his words. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, and he's talking about your life, you will be welcomed into an eternal dwelling. And this is exactly, I want you to get this, because a lot of people go, when I, when I die and go to heaven, uh, there's going to be family there, and they're going to greet me. I'm going to see people, I, friends I haven't seen in forever. But let me tell you what else. The money that you sow into the kingdom 
when people get saved because of your generosity, they're going to be the greeters of heaven for you. Like you're going to walk in and people are going to be like, you've never even seen them. They're from all over the world. They're going to be saying, thank you for your gift. Thank you for sowing into this ministry. Thank you for giving into this mission. Thank you for this trip that you made to preach the gospel where we were at. And they're going to be the greeters. He's like, they're going to welcome you into eternity. God takes money and he turns it into souls. This happened to me two years ago. I'm going to tell you this story and we'll get out of here. Uh, me and Austin, my son, and my daughter Ainsley, they were getting ready for a basketball game, and his shoes didn't fit. So I took him down to the mall to buy him some shoes, try to get them broken in a few hours before the game. We were walking through a mall, and this man came walking over. He goes, Pastor Marcus. I said, I said yeah. He said, uh, he said, hey, he said, uh, I don't mean to bug you. I know you're with your family. He's like, God has put it on my heart to bless somebody. I was like, well, great. And he said, but I miss God's voice so much. And he pulled out a $100 bill and he gave it to me. He said, he said I, I'm scared I'm going to miss God. He's like, find somebody and bless them with this 100 bucks." So he walks off. And also, if I say, he looks at me, he goes, what kind of job do you have that people just walk up to you and give you 100 bucks?" He said, this is crazy. And so I put the 100 bucks in, in, in the back pocket. And he goes, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, well we're going to go buy you some shoes. And so he goes, you better not. So I said, no, we're, we're just going to pray. And, and then sometime this week, we're going to bless somebody with, with the 100 bucks. God will lead us to him. So we bought his shoes. And we were headed to, uh, to his basketball game. And I looked down. I was almost completely out of gas. And, uh, and it was right there. We were having this winter storm coming in. There was some sleet coming down. I was like, ah. And I'm like, if I don't get gas now, I might just, I, I might run out of gas. So I pulled over at this gas station, and it's and it like mixed rain, some sleet coming down. And this homeless man came up by my pump, and he started going through the garbage. And he was just looking for cans and stuff in the garbage. And, and I, just, I just looked at him. I said, hey, how you doing? And, and he said, uh, he said, hey, you want to talk to me? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'd love to talk to you. He's like, okay. He's like, well, I'm doing good. I said, well, great. So I'm pumping gas. He goes, he goes, uh, sir, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Louisiana. He says, shut up. <laughs> I said, no, I'm from Louisiana. He said, me too. And he said, uh, well, he said, well, where in Louisiana are you from? I said, well, I'm from North Louisiana, around the Shreveport area. He goes, shut up. You're a liar. <laughs> and I said, no. He goes, me too. And he said, well, I know that area, so, so uh, where exactly are you from? And I said, I'm from Spring, Spring Hill, Louisiana is, is where I'm from. He's like, shut up. You lie. You lie. And I was like, no, I said, actually, I, I do did lie. I didn't think you'd know. There's a little community uh, outside uh, of Spring Hill called Cullen, and I kind of grew up in, in that, but nobody knows it. He goes, shut up. He's like, what's your name? I said, my name is... Uh, is Marcus Brown. And he said, is your daddy Tommy Brown, the preacher? <laughs> I said, I'm, not, I'm getting freaked out. I was like, yeah. He goes, like if I'm driving down East Road in Cullen and, and I get to, almost to the end of the road, I take a left on Burnham Street and, and Pastor Tommy Brown lived three houses down on the right. <laughs> I'm like, yes. And then he told me his name and he said, I live five houses down the road. And here we are over 200 miles away from this, this city. And God puts me in contact with a person that lived five houses down from where I grew up. And so I said, you got to be careful. I said, God has went to a whole lot of work to make this happen today. And I pulled out 100 bucks. 
And he actually looked over my shoulder at my son. He's like, your daddy hears from God. My son's eyes were like this. I'm like, that's right. I hear from God all the time. He started crying. I started crying. I put a hundred bucks in his hand and I, and I got to pray over him. And I'm just going to tell you, you don't know what God can do when you go, I'm going to be a funnel. Like whatever God brings in my life, the resources, I'm looking out for people he loves to minister to them. So next week when you get ready for your offering, I want you to pray and say, God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do because you're the one that is going to take my financial seed and turn it into souls for the kingdom of heaven. Why don't you close your eyes and let me pray over you right now. Father God, we love you. And we have a mandate under heaven to not just live this Christian lives for ourselves. We are to have an impact that literally has ripples for generations. And I pray that you will put a conviction in us to have a faith that matters, that lasts. To have convictions and values that we can pass down. And to have a generous heart and generous spirit because life is not about me. Life is all about you. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
message today from Pastor Marcus. And listen, that song that we just sang, I hope that you heard the words that it said, the declaration that it was talking about in that song. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Take that today and know that God is with you. Well, today we're going to take our tithes and offerings now and you can give directly to the digital campus or also make sure you give to the campus that you're a part of in our state. And we just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness. Through your giving this year, we were able to do so many different things for people in our cities across the state. And we just want to say thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at New Life Church. Well, right now, I want to pray for another church, Pastor Stephen Dickinson of First United Methodist in Cabot. We're going to pray for him today. And I also want to pray a prayer of blessing over you before we go. So, Father, right now, God, I just pray pray for Pastor Stephen, God, at First United Methodist in Cabot. God, I pray that you would encourage him during this time, Lord. You would be with them during this crazy COVID season that we're all in. God, that you would just bring peace, give them an amazing Christmas. And Lord, I just pray a prayer of blessing over everybody watching right now. God, I pray that you just protect us, Lord, during this Christmas season. I pray, God, that this is one of the best Christmases families have ever experienced in this time. I pray for joy to come to our homes, God. I pray for peace to come to our lives. And I pray, God, that we would just enjoy these next couple weeks together. So, God, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, coming up, we have a digital candlelight experience. You'll hear more information soon, but we can't wait to show it to you, and we can't wait to celebrate Christmas with you guys this year. God bless.